Hi, welcome to Mind Rolling. I'm David Silver, along with Raghu Marcus. And, and we're back. We're back. Hello, David. Number 82, this is. Really? And we're happy you're with us. Uh, very happy to be Skyping each other. And we're happy to introduce the premiere of MindPod Network, which is the uh, umbrella, if you like, the spiritual umbrella or the actual internet umbrella that covers five podcasts, ours, Mind Rolling, that you're listening to right now. And podcasts by KD, Christian Das, by Ram Das, by Sharon Salzberg, and Jack Cornfield. Think about that. They've all got their own podcasts. There are lots of them in there. They're really fascinating. They're compelling, actually. And it's much easier to navigate that. So that's what we're in now, MindPod Network. How's that, Raghu? Yeah, and it's, uh, it's a destination site is what our vision is for it. Uh, meaning it's a place you can go to get. Uh, and we're, we're going to keep increasing and asking other uh, esteemed teachers to join us. It's sort of our, it's our low-hanging fruit family. That's really what we should have called it. Never mind MindPod. It's a low-hanging fruit family because uh, they're all of our friends. And yeah. Basically, well, you know, we'll, we'll expand as we get more notorious. And then we'll have, you know, we'll expand and have Russell Brand. How about that? Uh-huh. Well, let's try him as a guest first, okay? No, I, oh, I'm sorry. I meant as a guest. Oh, you did? A, oh, okay. I'm sorry. I yes. just forgot that we are a network. Yes. We this was Raghu's idea. He dreamt this one night. and no, Actually, he, that's not true. A few people sitting around at the fire kind of thing, you know, uh, out in Maui one night dreamt this up. Uh, and uh, the other thing about it, aside from these wonderful podcasts that are available, you will also be able to uh, read uh, great blogs uh, from the different podcasters. And you will also get um, uh, wonderful MP3s and videos that we're putting up that we have access to from the different folks. So it's, uh, it's a pretty rich environment uh, that, that will be this destination point. Mind, uh, mindpodnetwork.com. So you go there, and you pretty much do what you do with Mind Rolling, which is just... Uh, Subscribe to the different podcasts, and uh, and of course the support remains the same pitch. And uh, David will not do the angry pitch this week. Although I really want you to do uh, one of those uh, angry pitches. I kind of like them. It's like that guy from that movie. We are we're mad as hell. And we're not going to take it anymore. Network. I love that. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know you have you have to feel it, and I feel only love. And, and intimacy with our, with our listeners, and they're so nice to us and right. So I can't get angry with them again. It's over. But please use the Amazon portal, the gateway, the link that you will find. And if you want to buy something on Amazon, which people seem to do all the time, I know I do, uh, it's a little bit of it goes to us, and it, nothing is added to your bill, and you get your thing, whatever it is you've ordered, and we get a little love from it. So do yes. it, please. And that's the same with every podcaster. You would do the exact same process. You like the podcast, you subscribe to it. Please do support each one of the individuals. And it's all, again, it's all part of a family. And, um, and it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a wonderful sharing all around, sharing the teachings, sharing the sustenance and so on. So we encourage you. And, and you know what? 
I'm going to suggest something on Amazon, like um, we like to do now every week, is to um, you know just tell you about something wonderful that you can purchase. Now you know some of this is media, not like refrigerators, like David suggested. You know, let's get a get get a big, you know, like seventy-two inch uh, widescreen TV through Amazon. I mean, it's amazing. They actually have everything. I mean, I get all my supplements. We talked about supplements last week. But yeah, Dave, I mean, they're just arriving every day. It's fantastic. I got something for you. Okay. You're going to want to buy this. Oh. It's a new book. This will blow your mind because uh, maybe you know about it. Okay. Mm-hmm. It is called, it's a new book. It's called, I mean, this. it's got a weird name. It's a brief history for seven killings, okay, which I don't know why it has that name, but basically it's about the 1976 assassination attempt on Bob Marley, and it's a novel, okay, on the night, and you know, uh, and David's going to tell you, and you know, he's mentioned this story before, but it's apropos here with this book i'm th- um, very excited about this i was there i was 200 yards from where they when the guns were being fired on the night of december 3rd 1976 gunmen <gasps> broke into bob marley's home in kingston and opened fire seriously wounding wounding marley his wife rita and his manager the shooting, which remains unsolved, is a big part of Marley's legend. He defied his attackers by performing at a massive free concert in Kingston just two days later. Now which I filmed. Th- I directed the film of that. <laughs> this I was is crazy. Now the incident has inspired a brief history of seven killings, an excellent new work of historical fiction by Jamaican writer Marlon James. Well, Marlon, I hope you got your facts, everything right, because I happen to know, I think I know the real story, because I was very close to it at the time it happened, and I knew the circumstances surrounding it. So I'm not going to say anything, but I'm going to read that book. Thank you, Roger. And other people should read it, too. And if you do, I'll tell more about that night, which was the most, whoa, what a night. Yeah, so, um, well, you I can order the book. Do, do, you, you, should, you need to order the book. Yeah, order the and book. then you'll order the book, and then maybe we'll get Marlin on here, and we'll talk to him. So it's part crime th- thriller, part oral history, part stream of consciousness monologue, and it's a seven hundred page book. Oh, I can't, amazing! I can't wait. I have two books which are, you know, amazing, but in a very different way. Uh, one of them was recommended to me by uh, my friend Rago Marcus, and the other one I found in my friend. Uh, Raga Marcus's uh, office and stole it. So you oh, should get yeah, these. I've been wondering where that book is. You know, well, What's the name two, of it? You had two <laughs> copies. You had two copies. Oh, okay. um, the, the one you recommended, which I didn't steal, is incredible. It's called Fearless in Tibet, The Life of the Mystic Tirtan Sogyal, who is right. the lineage master of uh, Sogyal Rinpoche, the man who wrote the Tibetan Book of Living and Dying. However, Tirtan Sogyal, uh, was t- I, there are no words? The words like astonishing and amazing don't work. This book I'm reading it is just so informative and fascinating. It's not just about Tibetan um, termas, which are the hidden secrets, Padmasambhava uh, laid down, but it's about him and and it's real and it lives and it's not that long ago, so it's very verifiable. Mm. Okay, fearless in Tibet is by Matteo Pistono. Matteo Pistono, 
It's in paperback. It's not that expensive. It's on Amazon. Yeah, and by the way, we just, it's funny, I don't know, did you see on Ramdas.org, because we feature a, a teacher every week, a new teacher, and we featured uh, uh, Tertan Sogyal uh, last week, I believe, and so, and we uh, featured the book. So you, you know, yeah, it's, like it's, minds think alike. It's great. Or the it's hell great. It well, is. that, that, that uh, you know, you told me about it, and I got it immediately. The other book is a very different kind of book. Uh, by Pema Chodron, the great, great uh, Buddhist teacher and eminence. The book is called How to Meditate, A Practical Guide to Making Friends with Your Mind, Pema Chodron. Mm. It yeah. so, uh, sounds true, our friends, and um, it's a fantastically clear and fearless, I am I'm using the word again, but this is just, it takes you there, and it, 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 it's, so, it's so smoothly written and so apt for learning about meditation, how to do it, what it is, and so on, with no, with no sort of um, decoration around it. It just really... Anyway, mm. it's called Meditation, How to Meditate, How to right. Meditate, Payment Children. That's my two... Well, and, and again, please, get, get that uh, Amazon portal up on your, on, you know, bookmarked on your menu bar, everybody. And I know there's a, a bunch, everybody, you know, who's into podcasts, they listen to more than one podcast, so... Uh, it's it's share and share alike. In the case of MindPod, you could just um, support MindPod, and then it gets split up amongst all of us. Uh, you know that's another way to do it. Uh, so, uh, but we do encourage that and donations and buying stuff like uh, our wonderful uh, mind rolling T-shirts. Dave, I got one more thing that for you. Yeah. There, oh, yeah. Okay, you don't know about this either. There's a new box set. Okay, and it's. It's George Harrison, The Apple Years, 68 to 75, with bonus tracks and a DVD. And, it's, and it was put together by Danny, his son. And uh, it, it, it's got All Things Must Pass. It's got Living in the Material World. Uh, it's got uh, Wonderwall. Remember Wonderwall? That, yes. You know, with the, it's the ragas and everything. And uh, the weirdly prophetic 69 Moog recital, Electronic Sounds, which uh, has, you know, God, that's uh, inspired so many current people doing this. Uh, so it's a box set. Uh, also, uh, Dark Horse and uh, Extra Treasure, Read All About It, Deep Tracks. Uh, and um, this is, uh, I believe it is, uh, I think it's out, Dave. Something else for you yes, to buy? Yes, it is. I saw it on iTunes. Oh, it you is. did? Oh, okay. Yeah, so that you just, knew about. All just. right. Well, everybody else, something else to get off Amazon. Yeah, it's recommended so highly. All Things Must Pass. I mentioned it too many times already. It's just wonderful. People don't know that, but I know because I wrote the film of the Beatles, uh, that George Harrison was the first person to do a solo album while he was in the Beatles. It wasn't John. It was not Paul. It was really? George. Wonderwall suddenly came out and everybody went, oh my goodness, this this is a whole different thing. And George is just such a supremely marvelous musician. And, you know, I, I'm just in awe. I was always in awe of, of his work. Mm. Okay, so Raghu, you have um, no. I have something you don't even know about. We, you oh know, folks, goodness. of course, we plan a little thing beforehand because I, like I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, no, it's <laughs> this is an an article about friendship, and uh, I wanted to just mention a, a little thing about it's a startling adult friendships. David Brooks, who writes great stuff in the Times, um, and uh, so it's about how. 
important friendships are and that they're going away. People, because of, you know, virtual, all, you know, digital, virtual reality and Facebook and, you know, uh, it seems to be having a deleterious effect on real human connection and friendships. Okay, so now here, there's three earmarks here for friendship. And I, David and I have known each other. We won't say how long because it will reference our, you know, aging bodies. Um, but <laughs> so that there's three things. Friendship helps people make better judgments. So, so much of deep friendship is thinking through problems together. You know, what job, who to marry. Allows you to see your own life, but with a second sympathetic self. Now, I want to ask you, has, has our friendship generated this kind of a thing for you? Yes. Better ju- You've been making better judgments through... Uh, because- I was going to say no just to start like a, a thing, but, you know, I can't. Now, yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, lots of, of, you know, little corrections here and there when you think you know what you're doing, or even more important, when you don't know what you're doing, and, and you've uh, uh, not been, you know, um, you've, been, you've been very direct about that, so, but without being, you know, abrasive, but you say, do you think that you should do that, or what are you doing? And, and those things are like, it's like having, you know, another gear on your car. Because you can move into that gear, it's like a good neutral and just listen. And then you get this feedback and it may change your... I mean, in 1969, somebody said to me, you know, I think you talk too much. And I was very upset about it and got sort of defensive about it for a while. All those years ago, all those years ago, 40 odd years ago. But it affected me. And he was a friend at the time. And I did start talking a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm deadly serious. Really? Because I was kind of a gabber, you know, I'm an Aries and sort of like, blah, 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 blah. and, you know, taking over conversations and being, you know, witty and probably not honest. I don't know. Stuff, you know. That, you know. And he just said, you talk too much. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stop talking so much. So you went mound. Silent, you were silent <laughs> Baba for a year. <laughs> no, it was a long way to go to that yet. But uh, yeah, I, it, yeah. I, so number one, I agree. Our friendship has been, uh, you know, very, very ameliorating. And we've made better judgments. Okay. Second, yep. friends usually bring out better versions of each other. People feel unguarded and fluid with their close friends. If you're hanging around with a friend, smarter and funnier thoughts tend to keep come burbling out. And this podcast is proof of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree Couldn't with that. Couldn't do this alone without you or else, you know, the, the uh, smarter burbling thoughts wouldn't be flowing out here, I don't think. So that's true. Um, and then finally, this is where I'm not so sure, but uh, <laughs> finally... People behave better if they know their friends are observing. What is this, Big Brother? I'm not watching your shit, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Friendship is based in part on common tastes and interests, true, but is also based on mutual admiration and reciprocity. People tend to want to live up to their friends' high regard. People don't have close friendships in any hope of selfish gain, but simply for the pleasure itself 
of feeling known and respected. So um, I'll have to say yes. I mean, and, and on these podcasts, the way that, you know, you, you, you sometimes go on about my supposed quote-unquote uh, higher uh, spiritual wisdom after all of these years and being with the guru and so on and so forth, which I take with a gigantic grain of salt, and I, I do. But, but I do now I have something to shoot for. You gave me something to shoot for, Dave, and I, I really appreciate that. So What? What did I give you? Just, you know, your, your thought that, that I have some accomplishment uh, in the air, you know, wisdom accomplishment. Oh, I, no question about this. I mean, without becoming, you know, obsequious, <laughs> for those listening, um, uh, Raga doesn't get this about himself, that he's an extremely helpful and thoughtful friend. And even to people who are, you know, you have friends and then you have other friends who are further out of this circle for whatever reasons. I believe karmic, I don't know what the word is, but, you know, some people are close, some people are less close. Raga is well known for being conscious of other people's plights. Plights, mm. I'm talking about. Not accomplishments. Plights. What's happening to them? And if one is aware of that and has the wherewithal and the motivation and the will and the love, then help is on the way. And I think that's true of you, and um, I might say somewhat rare in this life. Um, so I think that's the higher level of what I'm talking about here, which is not taste or anything. That's easy, you know, it's easy to sort of hang out with people, who, you know, who love Leonard Cohen or something, but, and, and all that, you know, whatever. But uh, I'm really relating to you as a friend who on many occasions has been very helpful to me. And way back into the, I remember the mid-80s, you know, um, which was not a good time for me at all. Early and mid-80s, a difficult time for me for various reasons, which I won't bore you with. And if it weren't for, you know, you and KD and, and Mohan and uh, Sharda and Radha and Parvati, and I think I would have just descended into some early death. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. We're, so there you go. I mean, I'm sorry. Talk about low-hanging fruit here. Yeah, really, really. This is yeah. But we just, just go I with brought, the flow. Yeah. yeah. What can we, well, what can I mean, and the only thing I would say, you know, the thing that really counts uh, uh, with the friendship that's not uh, maybe it's stated here. I don't know. It's about honesty. You know, it's about being honest with yourself, and the, and when you're sharing that, then you're you're really able to uh, deepen. Uh, the kind of friendship that really counts, and 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 uh, the same goes for people that you don't know. And who's the the greatest arbit arbiter of that is Ramdas, who has so honestly talked about himself. That's how people have been able to get a hold of the concepts because they can relate to somebody who is not holier than thou. And I think that's uh, super important. Just this last note about this, uh, did you know, um, I, I said before that uh, friendship's not in great shape in America. In 1985, people tended to have about three really close friends, okay, according to the General Social Survey, whatever that is. By 2004, according to research done at Duke University and University of Arizona, they were reporting they had only two close confidants. The number of people who say they have no close confidence at all has tripled over that time. So that's a sad indictment of, uh, of our digital culture, I believe. 
Mm -hmm. You think that, I mean, okay, just to, I mean, my, I understand that, but isn't there a good aspect to the fact that younger humans can text each other and have a connection, even if it's not the, the deepest, deepest thing at the beginning or even at the end, but that they can have both. They can feel connected because they can actually talk to someone, as it were. In other words, what, mm. is, the, what is the ratio here? Is it... Is it digital phones and all of that that's done this? Or is it a general, a, a real problem that is political economic? You know, people less money, people living with their parents, people struggling, yeah. people not knowing what to do. Yeah. Well, they do talk about, you know, uh, the, you know, uh, people crossing over uh, class lines, racial lines, how that's happening uh, apparently less. You know, there's so much polarization and so on and so forth. Anyhow, you know what? Uh, the bottom line here is, I, uh, aside from all the joking and and uh, just pointing to, you know, David and I are a good example of, of, of the many years we've had a uh, close relationship, friendship, um, and, and the value of it. So, uh, you know, it's something to encourage. And it cannot happen in a virtual world. I mean, you can communicate with people. Um, you know, I mean, David and I don't see each other that often. I mean, not, you know, a few times a year, but we're able to, you know, use digital, um, technology, you know, Skype and phone and text and whatever, uh, to stay in touch, you know, in a very close way. But that's because we, you know, we developed something when we were able to spend real time. And I think that's important. Enough of that. Okay, Dave. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I would add to that simply that if you if you have a friend, the digital universe can help you keep a friend because it can help you keep yeah, in touch exactly. and therefore remain yeah. like clear about what, what each of you are, are, are involved in. So that's, a, I think, important because I know that more women than men, in my experience, but, uh, from young women to much older women, you know, communicating uh, a lot more than men do, it seems mm. to me sometimes, uh, because they're just texting and schmexting and sexting around all the time. No, yeah. I, I, I mean, <laughs> schmexting, it's a new thing. <laughs> um, I, I want to. I've been listening, and I know a lot of you. Um, I, that is a, an equal rights statement because yeah. men are, uh, are doing the same thing. But I think that I've noticed that women have longer and more uh, and, and more friendships than men. And just observing, they seem to keep their bunch of friends together. I see things on Facebook of, you know, women who were schoolgirls together, college students together, and it's 20 years later, 25 years later, and there's six of them still drinking together in the same bar, going to the same yoga class. And it's like, wow, I can't say that. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, listen, remember the end of the world thing we, we were doing? We were much maligned. So. Yeah, our much maligned segment. Well, I found something. I think so. Um, I think you remember, you remember um, Candid Camera? You know, apparently it's back. Ooh. You know, his son is doing it. It was Alan Fun. His really? son is Peter. Remember that? <laughs> Where? <laughs> on TV? Yeah, it's on some kind of godforsaken channel. I don't know. Uh, you know, Adventureland. I don't know. But how about this? Okay, this is really... This signals the end of the world, okay? Because they went... Uh, and they went to... Uh, patients uh, were sitting at a dentist's office, okay? And they went and gave them an iPad. You know, they were dressed in a, a smock, you know, a white smock. You know, looking like official dentist, doctor. And, and they said, now you have to conduct your own online dental exam with your iPad. Okay, 
and and it turned out not only were they willing to do that, but some people were even prepared to give themselves a shot of Novocaine. No, come on! I swear to God. Is Before this we intervene, this is onion. This is to, the onion. No, no, this is this. It's the guy doing the actual thing. Okay. Um. Okay, and they hired a cop in in Scottsdale, Arizona. He was going around, and he was stopping people who were walking on the street, and he was giving them tickets because they were going more than two miles an hour. <laughs> The people were taking the tickets. Okay, okay, it's the end of the world, Dave. It is well, all right. And then okay, last, we slipped it in in the middle, so that our detractors who don't like it and I totally you, right. Well, no, that's okay. Um, uh, how about they, they arranged? Are you going to do another one? Yeah, one more. I'm nervous about these now. Why? Okay, this is bad. This is going to get us bad letters. Okay. Oh, no. uh, but they arranged to have a store in Arizona institute a gaze only policy. One startled patron conducted and recorded his own interview with their actor, right? Essentially producing a candid camera show without knowing he was he was on it at all. Oh, okay. that's so awful. I know, it's terrible. And it's you'll awful? get the mail. You you usually take care of the mail, but it's the more uh, end of the world stuff. It's you know, a little humor. Come on. No, no, no. I mean no, I'm all for it. I I really yeah. am, you know. Uh, I mean if I were a joke teller, I'd tell a joke right now. Okay. But I, I don't have any. Well, I like the thing of you know patients in a doc in a dentist's office, uh, being convinced that they're yeah, going to well, do their own exam and shooting themselves up with Novocaine. That's great. Man, they I actually stopped. I complain at the local drugstore here where you can't get someone to to attend to you, and you do it yourself. You drop the bag on a thing, and yeah. you, you pass your card and all that, and usually it goes wrong, and it takes four times as much. But that's making you into into the person that is now unemployed. Yeah. And, you know, lower the minimum wage. You used to check you out at, at uh, Rite Aid. Yeah, right. Now they just have, look, I mean, how can you stick a needle in your gum? Just stop that. That hurts. People, well, people do. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's Roger, uh, what, where, what, is the, what is the source? New York Times. Line, but what is the source of this? New York Times, okay? The truth. <laughs> <laughs> that's like my father. I've told I'm, this before. I'm done. Okay. That's my father. When, I told this before, but it, it, it relates here. At the end of his life, he started drinking Coke. And I'd say, why are you doing this? This is crazy. You're a health food fanatic. He said, Coke is the truth. <laughs> this is something I, I, he left with me. Thank um, you. Okay, now we're going to talk about God and Darwin. Uh, All right. Okay. I know you. I I know. See, Dave's already. I mentioned this to him. He took a look at it, and he can't understand for a second why in the hell we'd even get into this. But okay. So there's this biologist who wrote an amazing book that we're going to read called Buddhist Biology: Ancient Eastern Wisdom Meets Modern Western Science, and his name is David P. Barash. And David talks about it's irresponsible to teach biology without evolution. Yet many students worry about reconciling their beliefs with evolutionary science. Just as many Americans don't grasp the fact that evolution is not merely a theory, but the underpinning of all biological science, a substantial minority of my students are troubled to discover that their beliefs conflict with the course material. So he's, you know, obviously there's a, a, a great... Uh, 
section of this country. And, and uh, you know, we, we can go half and half, but I, th- I think in, in this case, uh, you know, when you're talking about evolution and you're talking about uh, any kind of fundamentalist thought, you know, there's a complete, um, you know, huge gap uh, in in our population. Um, so uh, he quotes this uh, this other uh, gentleman who who has tried to um, you know make the talk about evolution and religion uh, compatible by saying he calls it non-overlapping magisteria, called noma for short. The yeah, form, Stephen, Stephen Jay Gould. Yeah, is a, yeah. He, the yeah. former is concerned with values, and the latter with facts. So, and that's where uh, this gentleman, uh, David, has a um, completely disagrees with that, and um, and they go on. Uh, I mean, he he goes on to say that. Uh, the existence of a complex stru- here's here's some of the arguments uh, around um, the way that these two things can live together. The existence of a complex structure like a watch demands the existent- existence of a watchmaker. The existence of complex organisms requires a supernatural creator. Okay, but since Darwin, we have come to understand that an entirely natural and undirected process. Namely, random variation plus natural selection contains all contains all that is needed to generate extraordinary levels of non-randomness. Okay, that's living things are indeed wonderfully complex, but altogether within the range of a st- statistically powerful, entirely mechanical phenomenon. I got to read this guy's book, by the way. I mean, he's really coming out here in a way. I'm, you know, it's one thing to think he's putting down fundamentalism, or even core Christian Jewish value. Um, but it's another thing to think that he's actually into Buddhist Buddhism, even though Buddhism, uh, in Buddhism, there is no uh, God personified or anything such. There definitely is. Uh, uh, you know, a relatable um, analogy to it by virtue of um, talking about pure mind, you know, and so on. And in the and of course, the Buddhists believe in reincarnation, which you know completely destroys all of this thought. Um, and here's where uh, here's the thing: when you said to me, "I don't give a shit about any of this stuff," right? <laughs> Dave went on. This is ridiculous. Here's the thing that I wanted to bring up, Dave, and, and you can comment okay. on this. Yeah. Um, there is a, a literally and phylogenetically via traceable historical connectedness, uh, species are identifiable just as individuals generally are. There is an underlying linkage among them. Moreover, and here's the important line, no literally supernatural trait has ever been found in Homo sapiens. Okay? Now, I personally can say that is absolutely not true. I have seen 
more than one being, but one in particular, named Karoli Baba, who demonstrated supernatural traits. Absolutely 100%. How would this, uh, which we, we need to get at David and interview him about this, how would he uh, react to that? And he goes on to say, a powerful critique of theodicy, the scholarly effort to reconcile belief in an omnipresent, omnibenevolent God with the fact of unmerited suffering. So he wrote a book about, I keep going back to that because he's talking about unmerited suffering as if this is outside of any possibility of the uh, of that of the uh, universal intelligence, let's call it that. You know, we're not going to call it God. So uh, I think uh, you know, and I know that uh, you know he's talking about suffering is built into the nature of things, which is true. And we just so this takes me to the next um, thing, which is uh, a bit of a promo for what David and I have been working on, which is. Uh, a film that was taken from uh, retreats that Ramdas did with Krishnadas, Jack Cornfield, and other people, and the subject was uh, co- grace uh, and suffering, and dealing with suffering, transforming suffering. It's called cultivating grace and transforming suffering, and to me, it directly addresses this whole thing. I mean, can you see that at all? With, I mean, this. Yeah, I can. I mean, but he hasn't seen that film, and he's probably not been involved in any spiritual science. I mean, you know, if you're just dealing in the land of the visible and the microscopic and the, you know, observable logical progressions, synapses, evolution, whatever, that's fine. And it's not like the spiritual people that I hang out with, so-called spiritual people, you know, uh, say, oh, well, evolution is ridiculous. Of course, everybody recognizes that there's an observable process there. But to say that there's no supernatural... Uh, state or projection even in the human being is is arrogant because basically he's not seen it so he and he, he doesn't care that he's not seen it because he's not read anything by anybody who's who's empirically seen it because that's not the way it communicates uh, talk about ways, that that you know, uh, Tertan Sogil book that you brought up before when you talk yeah. about supernatural right yeah I mean not just him but I mean you know I've also witnessed uh, supernatural behavior uh, of a very intense kind, and I know that uh, I observed it. I wasn't in someone else's body, so I, you know, I mean, it it, it brings this article, you know, and, and Gould and Hawking and everybody. They vote, they're all brilliant dudes who have analyzed their what's in their, shall we say, bubble. I don't want to sound too derogatory, but it is kind of a bubble, you know, when uh, people are dismissive of something they've never truly investigated. In other words, has he ever, you know, done enough work to know what, what his consciousness is capable of? Um, no, he's, a, he's, he's capable of, of what he's observed. I don't want to put words in his mouth. He's probably great and everything. But, um, you know, I call it post-Cartesian paradigm, which is since Descartes said, you know, um, you know, I think, therefore I am, um, everybody puts that as the paradigm, whereas I would rather make it I am, therefore I think, because first and foremost, there's a life force that's mysterious. Thank God, it's interesting. Mm. Yeah. And to say that 
it doesn't exist because it's mysterious, is to, is to absolutely um, eradicate all beliefs in mystic systems, which is patently absurd. Right. No, exactly that. And, and uh, that's why I thought it was worthwhile bringing up because of... Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah I mean, obviously, uh, you know, um, listen, the, the, the one being that is leading the investigative charge of this, of reconciling science and uh, religion, and I'd rather say instead of religion, mystical... Uh, parts of of religions uh, is His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and and you know there's people like Richie Davidson out there who are, you know they're doing tons of experiments. They're experimenting with the uh, meditative states of Tibetan monks. They've been doing that for years, and uh, we uh, that should be one of our shows. We should get one of these people on to really talk about that because this this is. Uh, this article, and, and again, I, I, like you, would like to believe that we're not uh, exactly hearing him in totality only because of the nature of this, uh, this other book that he wrote, which seems to be along the lines of uh, um, you know, bringing those two things together rather than this article, which is maybe directed completely at core Christian uh, Judeo-Christian um, central values, um, which uh, you know, it's it's like uh, there's not enough nuance in in what we are brought up with to allow f it's to allow for what he's talking about. So I mean, giving him well, even the core ones, Rog. I mean, if you look, if you actually just sort of you know, I read it a few times. Read the Sermon on the Mount, you know, um, or other parables of Christ and Christ consciousness. It's there in the core, uh, and it is utterly mystical. And, and yes, but it's still in the core of Christian belief that Jesus Christ came as a spirit to the planet to save the sins of, of those who, sinners. But it also is true that he, he said, you know, turn the other cheek, forgive them for that, you know, what they do. All the things that pointed to a, 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 a system based on loving and forgiveness and compassion. Uh, so, I, you know, who would dismiss that? What I guess these guys are intent on dismissing is, is the, the sort of far-right politicization of what I call Christianism. Uh, you know, Christianism, which forces these beliefs, saying evolution's wrong, just like that. I've had conversations with quite a few people in my journeys in the South about this. Um, you know, I wanted to mention something. Yeah. The best moment I ever had about this, anything to do with this subject, was, was in, in Delhi uh, and then in, in Brindavan. Um, when, I think you got it going for me, I, I stayed with Vikram Soni. And Vikram is a, a remarkable human being, a scientist of the highest order, uh, was a professor of astrophysics, he's now a professor of earth science at the two major universities in Delhi. He's a remarkable human being. His father uh, was director of, I think, forests. He was like the head of all rangers and, and used to deal with tigers and was an amazing ecologist. Vikram is a scientist recognized throughout India. And I spent three or four weeks with him. And one day we drove to Brindavan and went to Maharaji's ashram there. And just observing Vikram and his exact ritual offering and devotion to the various icons there and to some of the very, very old ladies who he knew 
and his mood and when we were chanting together. This was a, a major scientist and he was totally absorbed in the Guru-Chela relationship. 100% devotional. Oh, he's a great guy. I mean, he likes to watch cricket and he likes to curse and whatever. And he's a, he's a, he's a real human being, Vikram. But he's a marvelous example of the most extremely uh, venerated type of physical science, physics science, nuclear fire, quantum science, astrophysics, and at the same time, a deep and sincere devotee of, of uh, Neem Karoli Baba. And that day in my life stands supreme to me, because it just sort of did something to me, you know. It's like watching, I'd had so many conversations with Vikram about quantum physics and so on. And incidentally, his opinions about the relationship of quantum reality to, uh, to Nirvikalpa Samadhi. I mean, the guy was just a fusion. And there he was, you know. Uh, he met Maharaji, I guess, as a small child when he was sick, and they'd given him up, I think, for gone in his household. And then uh, his eventual guru walked in the house and healed him. That's true, right, Raga? Yeah, I don't actually know that story. Yeah, yeah that's what I read in, in one of the books, and he told me about that. He was five, I think. Mm. And Vikram is now about, I don't know, 65 or something. Yeah. Anyway, that's done with that story. But you know why? You can see, Raga, why that would like have a deep indent on me. It just blew me away. Made yeah. me feel. It made, it chilled me out actually. Mm. And that's really what His Holiness is doing: is bringing that all to the fore through. Exper you know, they're doing legitimate scientific experiments. So they're bringing out, you know, what you just mentioned, Nirvikalpa Samadhi, which is uh, the highest trance state that a human can be in, I believe. Um, and uh, that is quantifiable, and he is, that's the work that he is doing, uh, so that uh, this is not just... Uh, I mean, the Tibetans for centuries and centuries have... I mean, to me, they're the greatest spiritual scientists, and it comes to the fore in this book uh, that uh, David mentioned early on, of uh, Tertan Sogyal book, um, who was an incredible yogi mystic, and 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 we're not talking about uh, we're talking about he left in you know when he died what in the twenties or something twenties yeah yeah so this isn't that you know you know less than a hundred years ago uh, so uh, you just see what it really points to is the possibilities of us as humans and I I think that that's what I find missing from this article. And maybe it's in his book, but I find it missing in this article. It, it's a, there, there, there is, I mean, and that is, you know, for us meeting these um, realized beings, uh, as we have, it's aside from the, f the fact that they completely blow your mind. They, they literally put your mind in pieces by virtue of their supernatural powers. Aside from all of that, really what the, what the thing that uh, one of our mentors, Dada, Dada Mukherjee, used to tell us, and he had, uh, he was an, I mean, he's another good example of what you're talking about here with uh, uh, Vikram. Uh, Dada was an, econ was, was an economics professor at Allahabad University. I mean, he, I think he was head of his department, okay? That couldn't be more 
of a you know a <laughs> rational practice, right. and he was not into uh, gurus. And he his 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 mother and his aunt were very very uh, religious, and he. Um, can I should I tell this little story about Don? Yeah, which I know you know. Not, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I'm just not sure. You know, we 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 tend to uh, we can mention things more than once, but I think it's worthy in this particular discussion to bring it up again. When he was uh, just out of uh, uh, school, he went on a pilgrimage of some sort. I mean, really was you know like. Everybody does. After they get out of college, go to Europe for a while. In this case, he was living in what is um, in in west, you know, way in western India, and he was uh, actually in Bengal. And what uh, he went to uh, Calcutta. Oh. People sound tell. I get mail going. We really love the fact that we can hear your dogs. Uh, so um, excuse us for that. Um, but uh, it's fun. Uh, I enjoyed that. Yeah, you do, yeah. I like it. Yeah, okay. It's very homey. I'll get up after the podcast and threaten their lives. Um, but... <laughs> so not true. Don't believe anybody out there, particularly Sandra. <laughs> oh, God. Don't listen yeah, right. to them. It's like their father. It's like their grandfather. Yes. Oh, God, thank you. Uh, he, uh, he. So anyhow, he ended up in Calcutta. I'm sorry. And uh, he's went to see, uh, he went to this ashram that is very famous uh, Sri Ramakrishna's ashram in uh, nearby Calcutta, and he just went there because he wanted to please his aunt and his mother, no other reason. And he's there, and some yogi sadhu comes up to him and says, uh, "I'm going to give you a mantra." And he was his immediate reaction was, "Now, yeah, I don't want any mantras," but he again was, you know, being polite and respectful. And so he got his mantra, which he was told to do whenever he took his baths. That's when, you know, so he had the mantra. So decades went by. He did the mantra. He still was not particularly spiritual by any means. And he's now uh, a economics professor at Allahabad University, living in Allahabad. His wife drags him over to see somebody saint. They say, oh, you daughter, you got to come. And uh, Sudhir is his name. And he went over there, and it was, uh, happened to be Neem Karoli Baba. And Neem Karoli Baba said to, to Dada, I mean, there's more detail here, and you can find it out in Dada's books, uh, which are now available as e-books, everybody. Um, you can get them through Amazon. Okay, little kicker there, Dave. Uh, no, you're a master. I know, it's terrible. I feel I bad. Mean, I'll be guilty it, for it may, it at least an hour. Modest, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyhow, right. we need, we need to do it. We need yeah. to, I'm sorry. Yeah. I keep interrupting. So Maharaji said to Dada, are you still doing that mantra? And this was literally, I, I mean, it was 20 <laughs> odd years, maybe 25 years later. I believe it was 1930 to 1955, something like that. Or, you know, something, re this huge span of time that Dada had kept doing this particular mantra, okay? And then uh, he, uh, and then this happened, and then, of course, he, his mind got completely blasted. How could that be possible? And, you know, he fell down at that point. And uh, eventually, 
Maharaji actually moved into his house whenever he'd be in Allahabad, usually in the winters, which is where we Westerners spent time uh, with him uh, there at Dada's house. I mean, it was a fantastic experience because it was different than an ashram. You were actually living in somebody's house. They used to feed us in the dining room. We used to hang out in the living room with him. I mean, it was spectacular. And uh, so many miracles happened to Dada. Um, supernatural. Uh, one of them occurred in uh, in the Himalayas in one of Maharaji's ashram in Kenji. And, and Maharaji grabbed Dada's hand and said, come with me, let's go see Hanuman. They went to s- in front of the statue of Hanuman. And again, this is in the book, and you can read the details, but basically uh, the next thing Dada uh, remembers is uh, is coming to from being unconscious by a riverside, maybe uh, a quarter of a mile down from the ashram, okay? He comes to, and he remembers as if a dream that Maharaji, when he grabbed his hand, suddenly he was taken by Hanuman, and they actually flew over the hills surrounding the ashram. That's all he remembers, okay? And then the other people who were there, they, you know, suddenly see Maharaji running into the, you know, running uh, across the courtyard yelling, where's Dada? What happened to him? Where is he? And they all, Baba, we don't know. Where? where ah, you know, and they went out looking for him. And sure enough, he was sta- came staggering from, from the river by the ashram, way down the, uh, the stream, down the river. And so the, but the point of, that I've been trying to make here, and it's a long shaggy dog story, everybody, the point is that Dada said to Maharaji at that point, after that happened, you know, I don't need your miracles. Please, don't, don't do them anymore. I don't need them. I, 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 I am happy to just be with you and serve you and serve those around you. I just don't need those miracles. And what he used to say to us over and over and over again, the real, um, the real transmission, and this is something you said earlier in the podcast, the real transmission is about the love, the compassion, the kindness that exists in this being who has no thought for himself, absolutely no self-referential point whatsoever. That's really what, this is all about and uh it's uh that sets up you know and we go back to this article god and darwin here that sets up to me the real response to something like this because this being was an example of our human potential absolutely and this is the most important thing that we can gain out of being with these uh, the real masters and uh, real uh, people who have gone beyond any kind of self-referential ego mind whatsoever. And so I think that's the most important thing, Dave. Yes, you can't really expect a dialectic between uh, a rationalist and that because that is not in their realm of of interest or knowledge. And that's a karmic mystery. It's what I call a karmic mystery. You know, that they... They're talking about various forms of organized religion, basically, and various things that come up. Now, just as an afterthought, you know, people who are 
necessarily believe in evolution, evolution, however you want to say it, um, like I do, it has no bearing upon um, spirituality or respect for uh, the, the great wise Buddha or Bodhicitta. It's got nothing to do. It's part of the deal. You know, that's how it manifested. That's how it happened. But it doesn't controvert anything. Uh, whereas if you're going to set up a dialectic between two mainstream arguments without any kind of personal experience of the more enigmatic, uh, mystical experiences that uh, we've had, or that people have, uh, then, the, then the, the, the debate is kind of silly. Because once you've experienced these things, I mean, you know, I go back to, you know, 1967 and, and the first few acid trips, and just everything getting shattered beyond words, like, whoa, beyond words. That one saw immediately, I saw immediately, realms of reality that had nothing to do with rationality or the normal observable universe. So, you know, that was that for me. And so, you know, but we can't expect these things to become like mainstream part of a dialectic unless they in fact are. And the the dialectic between, you know, scienti scientism and Christianism or whatever is, is, is okay, but it's not. What does it mean to people who've investigated meditation and mysticism and just the altruism? It seems kind of minor, a minor conversation, uh, right? So anyway, um, but let's remind you again um, that um, if you have some love for George Harrison and want to buy the Apple Years, get it via us at Amazon. If you want to read a book about meditation by Pema Chodron, who is just a, the most clear of speakers and teachers, called How to Meditate, A Practical Guide to Making Friends with Your Mind, get it on Amazon. If you want to read a remarkable story about the supernatural, Fearless in Tibet, Mm. The Life of Turton Sogya by Matteo Pistono. Matteo Pistono. Get it on Amazon and enjoy. Thanks I mean, I even, I, I, in reading that book, I'm even, like, and I've experienced it directly, you know, this uh, miraculous supernatural powers. Um, boy, there's some stuff in there that's just, I was like, geez, i got to talk to Lama Surya Das because he knows all about this. And just ask him about this being and what he represents is just uh, you know staggering so all great books and uh, we're at uh, uh, that was a smooth and suave segue yeah david we're getting um, yeah no you're getting good you know um but um but i do prefer the angry dave though <laughs> i want to bring back angry dave one of these days all right i'll 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 find it somewhere. okay good um, I know you're basically, you know, just the, the wash of love that you're receiving on a weekly basis from our listeners has uh, really demotivated you. Demotivated you in, in yeah, but it has no effect. I'll tell you something. It has no effect on me, but keep doing it. <laughs> we love you guys. We, we love, love the support. We love the email. We love the comments. And now uh, go to mindpodnetwork.com and... See the richness uh, that that is there. Uh, I mean, just 
really an incredible. I wouldn't call them masters, Dave. Though I I have to uh, limit your hyperbole. Did I say there. masters? Yeah, you did. I mean, you know, teachers of esteem. Um, well, I just want them to like me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's true. Um, so, but you'll like them, folks. Uh, and uh, those of you who uh, some of these folks will be new to you, these wonderful teachers, then you just have a, um, a treasure trove. What's the URL? Explore. I forgot it. Is it mindpod.com? No, mindpod network. MPN. Mindpodnetwork.com. We, mindpod we, we never com. mentioned the link. Let's just do that. Mind. I've said it four times. Mindpodnetwork.com. Please go there, and uh, you'll see that uh, that's where mind rolling lies amongst in the field of beautiful flowers. How lovely! We uh, we thank you again, um, and uh, we're we're going to see you next week. And Dave. It's yeah. been fun. I had some. I had other stuff going on. We got so much to talk about. We'll, well, we'll, we'll just do it next time. We'll do it next time. Except by then there'll be other stuff. It never. Yeah, you know. it's a, the, yeah it's, it's stuff never ends, which is yeah. uh, can be a problem too. All right, Dave. Love you. We'll talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye.